iOS Dev Break. 15 minutes of current events, tips, and advice for iOS developers, including, but not limited to, discussions of Swift, iOS, watchOS, and tvOS. Welcome to iOS Dev Break Episode 8. Still waiting for that iPad Pro. Welcome, and uh, yeah, in this episode, um, we have a Forward Swift recap and uh, some other things we'll be talking about, UX-related and some business things. Um, so hopefully uh, this will be a good episode for everybody. Um, first, we'd like to start off with some current events. And uh, one of the things that has happened recently, and this was about how Fabric is joining Google. And uh, I, I've actually been using Fabric for a while, and uh, I've always had some reservations about it being a Twitter product. And even though Crashlytics before it was a great product, and then uh, with, with Twitter, uh, they came out with some amazing enhancements. Uh, it's been great so far. Um, and there always was that sort of uh, specter looming that it was a, uh, a Twitter product and that uh, who knows what the, we're doing with the data. And, uh, and then most recently, we've heard about uh, Fabric now becoming part of Google. So this brings me to another juncture in that I, I use Fabric for my products, and it's been... It, like I said, it's been a very good product uh, or set of suite of products, and uh, especially Crashlytics and also Answers, uh, which I've actually found to be more useful than most of the other things because I really haven't had too many crashes and things to deal with in my products. But um, as far as uh, Answers is concerned, it gives it really interesting analytics. But now going to Google... I am a little bit uh, skeptical or a little leery of this change. Uh, so um, I'm not really sure what the right thing to do is at this point. Um, I think I will take a wait and see kind of attitude about this. Uh, I'm not thrilled about the fact that Google is uh, is taking them on, but uh, it, it makes sense. At least it's probably a good thing for the Fabric uh, team because... Uh, that way they can really get some uh, some good backing, and uh, Google can certainly help with that. So um, so I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully it won't be too evil. The next thing uh, that I was kind of excited about is the, the fact that the Apple Park uh, is, as it is now named... Uh, Apple Park uh, is uh, has been videoed. It's, there's an awesome drone video on uh, on YouTube. I found out about this through Nine to Five Mac, and uh, it sure is exciting to see the progress being made. And it looks like April is the date when they're going to start moving people in uh, and open it up. And so that'll be really exciting. That's right around the corner. Uh, I'm recording this on March 22nd, so uh, this is that really is. Uh, just weeks away. So it's really exciting. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to take a look at it because it's a, a lot of fun to see how things are going. And uh, it'll, they'll have a new headquarters before we know it. Uh, the other thing that uh, came up was the fact that a new iPad was released yesterday on uh, Tuesday, March 21st. And uh, so they have 
the site dedicated to this. They're calling it iPad. Um, and so uh, this, it's going on sale this Friday, March 24th. The baseline product or is uh, priced at $329, which is a great price, especially for entry level, someone who just wants a Wi-Fi device and doesn't need a lot of storage. Now, what's very interesting, I thought, is that this replaces the iPad Air 2. So now iPad Air is not a thing anymore. Uh, this new device is just called iPad. It's available in silver, gold, and space gray. Uh, and also they changed some of the storage options so that it's there's only two, at least currently, if you go up on the store, you'll see that there's only the 32 gig version and then another one at 128 gigs. And uh, so this is interesting. Um, and it makes a, a very good option for someone who is uh, entry-level user, um, someone who doesn't need the features that are in the iPad Pro. So uh, so for me personally, I w I'm not interested in this uh, in an iPad for myself because I do want one that is that does support the uh, the pencil. And so... That's just uh, that's just my preference. So I'll, I'll. But what I am still waiting for, and this is the other thing that I was uh, hoping to talk about a while back, but never got around to it, is the fact that there might still be another event coming up. We know in the past that App Apple has done this kind of thing, where they they'll they'll do like a soft launch of certain products that they don't want to include in a bigger event later. And so hopefully there will still be a bigger uh, event coming up. Who knows? Um, but, uh, and also there's been rumblings about the 10.5 inch model of the iPad Pro. And honestly, that's the one that I'm waiting for. I, at least I, I want to see it. And uh, uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think personally that option, that particular model would be ideal um, and the perfect size I need something a little bigger than the 9.7, but uh, honestly, when I've uh, used uh, the iPad Pro 12-inch version, uh, it's just been enormous, and I think it's just a little bit ungainly for me personally, but uh, if the 10.5-inch doesn't show up, then that's probably what I'll go with anyway. So that's it for news and current events, and if there's anything else coming up, uh, we'll, we'll move that to the next episode. And I'll try to get the next episode out in a week. And so we can get the momentum going again on these uh, these shows. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was about uh, Forward Swift. And it's been a couple weeks, but I thought it would still be nice to do a little recap based on the, uh, the, the talks that were given there and the workshops and so forth. And it was a, a great experience. I was very happy that I was able to give a talk on uh, React Native, and I, I thought it was very uh, interesting and kind of funny to be able to give a talk on on such a, a technology in front of a bunch of Swift developers. Um, but it, it actually went really, really well, and uh, hopefully you can catch it on the recorded version after uh, when they've uh, when they posted those at Forward Swift. Um, some of the other highlights were that the conference kicked off with a panel discussion about architecture uh, with uh, Christina Tai and uh, some other uh, developers. And what was interesting about this particular panel was uh, how few of them were actually doing Swift. Um, there was 
uh, one of the panel members was doing React Native also. One was doing Objective-C. Uh, in fact, he had kind of drifted into Swift land, but then uh, re- kind of went backwards into uh, Objective-C. So I thought that was all very interesting uh, to see. Um, I thought it was a good representative sample of what iOS development looks like these days because so many of us are dabbling in other technologies. Some are being very reserved and not going to Swift. Others are, you know, and, and staying with Objective-C. So uh, it's kind of an interesting landscape right now uh, as far as the the makeup of what is an iOS developer. Uh, I know for myself doing React Native, uh, it's maybe not necessarily the technology that I would prefer to be doing. I would definitely be rather uh, doing 100% Swift, um, Swift 3, moving on to Swift 4. Um, but right now, as far as my project roadmap is concerned with the company that I work for, it looks like I'll be doing mostly React Native uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, so that for me, that means that I need to be doing Swift in my personal projects, which I do have, and I'm hoping I can launch that before WWDC of this year. Um, it will require a lot of work on my part uh, on the back end as well as on the app. So uh, there, there's a lot to be done. Um, some of the other things at Forward Swift that were really interesting, uh, Ellen Shapiro gave a, a great talk on testing and uh, specifically UI testing. And so hopefully you can get a chance to, uh, to listen to that or see that. And uh, as well as Chris Adamson's talk on media frameworks and Swift. And it was very entertaining. Um, he, we got to see how it was possible to do some backward masking. And uh, he, he gave some clever examples of that. And uh, then the other thing that I thought was really great was uh, David Okun, uh, his uh, talk on Kitura. What's next? Now, Kitura, if you're not familiar with what this is, it's a there's a, uh, it's one of the several contending platforms for server-side Swift. And as it turns out, Kitura is the one that's basically backed by IBM. So having IBM behind this product makes it really compelling and it was very interesting to see some examples he he gave ran through some uh some examples of how this works and so it's something that i'm kind of uh interested in um going forward i've been looking at for back-end solutions doing possibly node.js or or that kind of thing but if i can do a back-end in swift then i would uh, personally i think it'd be awesome to be able to do it in the in the client side on my iOS apps as well as on the on the uh, the server side as well, so that was very uh, a very nice talk to to watch. Um, then later on there was a a, a very interesting uh, talk by Yavi Soto uh, from Twitter uh, about genetic algorithms and Rubik's cubes and how to solve them, and uh, it that was a, a really interesting talk. He has a, a GitHub repository about that. So I encourage you to uh, take a look at that, too, if you get a chance. And uh, then what was also very interesting, the uh, the Kaizen plan. And now this is something that Craig Clayton and, uh, presented, and it wasn't necessarily specifically to iOS development, Swift, or any of that kind of things, but it was it was mostly about how we can learn things in digestible pieces and in a consistent pace. 
So uh, that was a very, very thought-provoking talk. So uh, good job by Craig on that one. And then uh, Erica Sadoon, she literally phoned it in. Uh, She used uh, Skype. She gave a talk on doc comments in Swift. And so that was that was really great to, to see too, and it was it was nice to have such a high profile speaker at Forward Swift. So if you get a chance, I encourage you to take a look at the the talks. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy them, and uh, and I also encourage you next year. They are definitely planning a Forward Swift for next year, and so if you can get the information, go to forwardswift.com and uh, see if you can get some information on that for the next uh, conference next year. It was, a, it was a great one this year, good community, and also it's coupled with the Forward.js. So if you're doing some front-end and back-end work, and maybe you're doing a little Node.js or Angular or React or uh, React Native, then all of those things get kind of bundled into the whole conference. So I encourage you to take a look at that for next year. So that is it for the Forward Swift recap. And next, let's talk about design. One of the things that happened recently was that Overcast 3 was released. And while I'm always pleased to have a new version of an app be released, especially one that I use all the time, um, I, I'm always a little bit leery whenever a major version is released to, to think about or to see which features have been removed or which features have been added that significantly change the user experience. And Overcast 3 is one of those, in, which is no exception. Um, I know that Marco Arment is definitely one to take those kind of chances he will take those chances if he feels that they are necessary or valuable. And so unfortunately, one of the things that uh, one of the beefs I have with the app, and he he admits that this was going to be something that his existing users would not appreciate, is the fact that uh, it now takes two taps to play an episode. And to me, this is actually uh, ridiculous because the whole point of the app is to play a podcast and if it took one tap before and now it takes twice as many, yes, it may just be for going from one tap to another. Um, it, it just is so annoying. And um, it's not to the point where I'm in uninstalling and rage quitting uh, Overcast, but it is definitely double the trouble of um, of taps. And, and it's also one of the things that, that I find is that it ends up being twice as dangerous uh, while you're driving a car, if you're trying to tap on something, you know, if you can manage one tap, fine. And usually the tap target being a very large table cell in a UI table view is not a problem. But then having to tap that and then having to tap a very tiny region to actually play the episode is, uh, I think, ludicrous. And unfortunately, it sounds like uh, Marco is not going to change that. So. It's probably just something I'm going to have to live with, um, but it does bring up a design issue. And uh, one of the, the things here, too, is that the design model that he followed is one from uh, from Tweetbot, which is another design model that I think is also very bad. 
um, again, it's one of those two-tap models where you tap the thing and then it reveals a region that has several buttons and then you choose which one uh, to, uh, to then tap. And unfortunately, I honestly think that the, the standard Twitter uh, app is actually superior in this regard because those interactions are directly in the table view cell. So um, I know that there are fans of TweetBot and the way that it does things, but I'm not one of them. I keep installing it and trying it and then uninstalling it because it's just too infuriating. So um, in like manner, the Overcast 3 release with this two-tap model has uh, unfortunately been a real uh, irritant to me. So um, I, I keep using Overcast 3 because Overcast is the best podcast client. I mean, I get that. And I also understand the reasoning behind the changes. The the motivation of discoverability, that is a huge problem for us in the world of iOS and mobile in general. Being able to uh, reveal what interactions are possible to a user is very difficult. And sometimes, uh, well, it's, it's just very challenging for us. There are ways around it, however, and uh, and so I do understand that having that two-tap model makes it so that he can also reveal more functions or more features uh, or more things that you can do with the particular item that you're interacting with. The problem comes in when the that gets in the way of being able to do the primary function of the app. So I think that's something that we need to think about and be responsible uh, about uh, and for in our applications so that we can make our applications as simple as possible but be able to provide the the core functionality that we need. So I think that's done uh, for me about this particular subject and I won't mention it anymore, Um, but uh, it it is a pet peeve of mine and I'm always trying to make sure that Uh, that apps are scaled down to the minimal amount possible. Okay, so on to the business portion of our podcast today. And uh, I'm, the subtitle of this is Don't Let It Come to This. And the reason for this is because uh, recently, uh, I think I may have mentioned this before, but um, the one reason that I use Parallels on my Mac is that I need to run Quicken Windows. So um, reason for this is that the Quicken Mac product has always been a terrible mess, a dumpster fire, if you will. So um, so I use Quicken Windows, but only for my, my personal finances. And, um, and so one thing that was very interesting was that Quicken uh, sent me a what they call their net promoter survey. And then if you're not familiar with net promoter, this is one of the things that uh, Intuit is, or at least was when I was working for them, um, obsessed about, which is the question of how likely are you to recommend this product to a friend? And so they sent me one of these to, uh, with, I'm not quite sure exactly what triggered it, but uh, they sent me that, uh, the survey with that question. And, Unfortunately, I had to give them an extremely low rating. I think I gave them a 1 out of 10, um, basically because the Quicken Windows product is the only game in town. 
if someone came with a calendar-centric personal finance app, I would jump ship in a second and I would be there. Uh, so I get, it made me think about our products that we are making as app developers. So we really should not be letting our apps, our products, the things that we are so proud to create that we've invested so much time and energy into to get to the point where our customers feel like it's the only op- the only option, the only game in town. So that's why I use it. I don't like it. I hate it. But that's why I use it is because there's nothing else that's better. Let's let's not get to that point with our apps. Let's take pride in what we do. Let's fix the bugs when we know that they are there. If it, if we need to, let's build in ways to collect that information whether it's through analytics, whether it's through systems like Crashlytics, maybe it's a feedback function within our app so that people can let us know how they're really feeling about what our app is doing and the areas in which it needs help. Um, And let's do what it takes to make our customers happy, to give them what they really need, not just empty features, not just marketing bullet points, because that does not help them at all. so what we really need to be doing is to be soliciting feedback early from our, our customers. Um, so maybe we can build in these feedback functions, not, not put it as a feature or list uh, item for version 2, version 3, but it should really be in there no later than version 1, probably earlier than that so that we can get it out to our beta testers as well so that they can let us know about features that might be irritating them. Then what we need to do is iterate on our designs and make sure that the one that the, the features that we are uh, developing, the ones that are, we are designing, if we are doing that, that they solve the problems and that we simplify matters. Make it as simple as possible. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy about a product like Quicken is that it has some very good function but and good features but it also is a behemoth it's uh, it's insanely huge and uh, probably the average user only use maybe 10% of that so with regard to our designs too let's work with a designer if you can find and afford a decent one also, find a designer that is skilled at user experience design um, because design is not just graphic design. We need to be able to find competent designers who can help us with the experience of what we're doing. Now, if you feel like you're qualified to do that on your own as a developer, that's fine. Odds are pretty good you're not, but that's okay too. So you can at least give it your best shot. And if you build in those feedback mechanisms that we talked about earlier, at least you can get feedback and you can start iterating on your designs, even if they're bad, and uh, work from there. So this is just a little bit of business advice and for, uh, for us. And because I really would like to see the iOS community building uh, quality apps and not let it come to that situation that I mentioned earlier where our app is the only game in town and that's why people are using it. We want people to be delighted and excited to be able to use our products. And I know we can do it, so it's just a matter of 
uh, finding the time, perhaps finding a little bit of money to be able to get a good designer to help us in that endeavor. It may require some graphic design too, but the user experience is, is the most important part. Okay, so that wraps up the business side of things, and I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, the other thing that I had was a listener question. Actually, as it turns out, I, I got a question at the at Forward Swift regarding what uh, my setup was for podcasting. And um, so as far as my setup is concerned, it's very simple. I use an Audio-Technica AT2020 USB microphone. Uh, right now, I'm not using a pop filter, so if I have pops, I apologize for that. Um, but uh, up until maybe two weeks ago, I was using a MacBook Pro 2011 um, and using primarily Audacity for that. Um, but <laughs> that machine, I should have put this in the, the news section, but that machine went belly up on me one morning. It literally just stopped. And it seems to be related possibly to the video card issue that the 2011 MacBook Pros have, but um, I'm not entirely 100% sure about that. And it turns out that the service plan uh, was discontinued in December for that. So my machine decided to quit uh, three months after the the plan went uh, out of effect. So what I'm now using is a 2006 MacBook Pro and I am using Ableton Live 8 intro and typically what I've been using is Ableton Live to, to do all of the mixing. So I do some recording in Audacity and then was exporting that as raw uh, AIF files and then bringing them into live and then doing all of the arrangement in live. But I figured now I might as well just simplify matters and just record directly into live since it's super capable. It's an excellent system for doing that way better than GarageBand. So I highly recommend Ableton Live if you are looking to do any kind of audio production. Um, and that's basically it. And uh, as as is evidenced by what I'm using. You don't need a high-powered machine, but it gets the job done, and I'm able to record. So um, hopefully that helps you. If you have questions about my podcasting setup, uh, there's some other pieces involved in that, but other than that, it's not too interesting or too different than what anyone else uses. So uh, that's about it. Um, that, that wraps it up for this show, and I will have links to the things that I mentioned up on the show notes. So I encourage you to go check that out on iosdevbreak.com. Thank you so much. Uh, we have just one message from our sponsor, and that is Cloud City Development. And Cloud City is the company that I work for. We are an integrated design and development consultancy specializing in web and mobile apps. Uh, we have experts in Ruby on Rails and iOS. And uh, so if you would like to work with me and Cloud City Development's awesome developers and designers on your next app project, uh, please let us know. Uh, if you have an app project that you're trying to get off the ground or maybe you need a backend for your web app or your mobile app and you need that to be designed or developed, uh, please contact Cloud City Development today and see how we can help you. You'll be in good hands, and uh, again, we always love working with nice people who have great ideas. And for 
more information and a complimentary half-hour consultation, please contact us at cloudcity.io, and we look forward to chatting with you. Also, if you would like to help keep iOS Dev Break going, there's a couple ways which you can do it. Uh, and uh, so you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash iOS Dev Break. There are several levels of support from uh, that you can choose from, and they're very reasonable, and any help would be greatly appreciated. Or if you would like to sponsor, please contact me. You can contact me on Twitter at iOS DevBreak, or use my personal Twitter account name also, which is Evan K. Stone. And uh, so any, your support would be greatly appreciated. So I look forward to hearing from you, and we would really want to keep iOS DevBreak going. So thank you again for listening to this episode of iOS Dev Break. And uh, until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side.